Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. Good morning, everybody, particularly to those who are here in the room. It's usually the other way around. We particularly are uh, welcoming those who are watching online. It's a little reverse because you got up early, battled the New York cold, and got here. <laughs> you ought to get something for that. <laughs> I tell you, I, I love New York City, but I tolerate the winter. <laughs> so long live the spring. We are um, doing a short series here in January. Uh, Pastor Michael began the series where we are looking at and trying to answer a couple of questions. One, who is Jesus? And then what difference does he make in our lives? And in order to address the question of who Jesus is, uh, we looked at the overall theme that the Bible presents of Jesus as the best prophet the best priest, and the best king. Last week, we saw that he's the best prophet because prophets represent God to the people. That is, they speak on his behalf, and Jesus is the best because he is God himself who came to be with us and to be uh, uh, the presence of God with us, Emmanuel. And this week and for next week, we're looking at Jesus as the best priest. And a priest, unlike a prophet who, does, who speaks on behalf of God to the people, a priest speaks on behalf of the people to God. He's their intercessor, and I'll explain that. That just means someone who speaks or represents them uh, before uh, God. But before I get to that, I have to deal with two problems that our text uh, raises. 
The first problem is it talks a lot about uh, priests and sacrifices. And if you knew the context, it's in a temple. And because we live in the modern age, we're really unfamiliar with priests and sacrifices. And becoming more and more so, for many people, they just don't know what priests did. They don't, what did the sacrifices accomplish and why uh, the temple was necessary. And so for many modern people, it's not just unfamiliar language that the text brings up, but it's a little bit archaic. That is, it seems like it's long ago religious practices of a religion that it doesn't do these things anymore. And so not only is it a little bit unfamiliar to us, but in a lot of ways, it just seems uh, archaic and old. And so in order to try to get at that, point that it's making, because the point is relevant uh, to us today. Not Even if we could just ignore priests and sacrifices, we would miss the point that all the priests and all the sacrifices pointed to, and we don't want to miss that because that does make a difference in our lives today. Maybe a, a clue is this idea of what a priest did. In fact, The clues in verse 25 when the writer says, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God. That is, Jesus was able to completely save who people who came through him, that is, as as a representative, because he always intercedes for them. And that word intercede uh, doesn't just mean someone who speaks, but someone who speaks on behalf of them, that he represents them. pleads a case for uh, them. The closest word we have in English to what they really did, this intercessor, is an advocate, someone who uh, uh, represents you. And I was reading in a commentary that an old preacher uh, from the Reformation, a guy named John Calvin, and before he became a preacher, he was a lawyer. He studied the law and eventually got kicked out of France and moved to Geneva, Switzerland. But when he gets to this text, because he comes from a law background, said, oh, I get this. Even by his day, there there weren't these kinds of daily uh, sacrifices. And he talked about him being our advocate in a courtroom as opposed to a temple. But that raises the second problem. The first problem is the unfamiliarity of the language. The second one is simply it assumes that we have a need for an advocate. We have a need for someone to speak on our behalf because something needs to be said. Verse 26 says, we have such a high priest. We have such an advocate who truly meets our need. So who is it that advocates or pleads a case in court? Who needs one? Well, someone who's been charged with a serious crime, someone who's been indicted uh, with a a charge, a a crime. Um, Yesterday, I was at a Gotham retreat at Princeton, and if, if you don't know what Gotham is and you would like to find out more, just ask me and, or shoot me a message, and I love to explain. It's a great nine-month uh, discipleship uh, program. But I had to get back because tonight, I mean, today I was going to do the message. And so I took an Uber and, uh, from Princeton to the train station and uh, got in the car. He, he immediately introduces himself 
he says, my name is Muhammad. He knew my name because evidently it shows up on his screen. He says, Bruce, it's great to meet you. Um, and he starts, you know, sometimes you have to get them talking. You, you, you say, hey, you know, how are you keeping warm? And he said, well, I love being out tonight because my only other choice is to be home with my wife. Um, he goes into all his marriage problems, and, and this is my 15-minute ride to the train station. And, uh, and so in the middle of this conversation of wishing that he was back in his home, a country where he could have two wives, and my response was, well, you want twice the problem. Um, so we, we're, we're almost to the train station, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to escape. I'm going to get out of this car. He starts a new topic that I can't get out of the car, and it's uh, of before the pandemic, uh, he could really make money because he could put two uh, uh, riders in the car, both paying uh, for a share ride. And, and so he said, well, this one time he, he picked up a woman and, and he was taking her uh, to the train station and he had another affair and he picked her up and he knew who she was. Oh, did I tell you, Muhammad graduated from Princeton with a doctorate in philosophy, driving my Uber. <laughs> At least that's what he told me. <laughs> Um, very intelligent guy. And so he recognized this, uh, this woman who had just graduated for the very first woman in the country in her field with a PhD. So he's very proud of her. And he said, hey, can I stop and buy you a coffee or something on the way to the train station? And he was making much of her degree. And so he said, you know what happened after that fair? She sued me. Not the one that got the degree, but the lady in the back that he ignored. <laughs> so he, she's suing him in small claims court because of discrimination. He's willing to buy this one woman a cup of coffee, but not me. Well, and, and so the, he says, I decided to represent myself in court. And I'm sure that's not really a great idea, but philosophy major. Um, he goes and he, he says, uh, Judge, this is what happened. I have every right. His basic of his case is, I have every right. I, we don't give coffee out. This was something extra. It's, it's nothing that she should have expected. The, the judge said, it doesn't sound very fair, though. And he said, well, if you want to talk about fair, we could talk for days. I'm a, a doctorate in philosophy, and I can tell you about fair. The point here is, in small claims court, in traffic court, it's okay for you to represent yourself because the stakes aren't really high. But in a capital case, when it's life and death, whether you're talking about execution or just simply spending the rest of your life in prison, you should not represent yourself. You need someone else, a better advocate than you. Quite frankly, you're unqualified to represent yourself in a capital case. Because you don't know the formalities and the rules of the court. And therefore, you need an advocate who can stand and plead your, your case. Because an advocate, when they stand for you, when they win, you win. The bad news is, when they lose, you lose. But that's the nature of an advocate. But the real question is, do we need one? Do we need one before God? What is it that we have done that causes us to need an advocate? We know this intuitively 
that we've done something wrong. I don't have to take you through a survey of the Bible to talk about the things that God created us uh, a good and by a design, and we decided our first parents to go its own way, and we've done it ever since. I could make that case, but I'd rather make the case that intuitively you already know this about us. Last week, I told the story, and and Graham was referring to it, about smart nine-year-olds. You know, when you—I'm just sorry, I just did not have that kind of a conscience that made me feel bad about what I had done. That took my father (laughs) to make me realize that. The the story was simply, when I was about nine years old, I'd gotten around a couple of guys who said, you know, it'd be really cool to have the new Hot Wheels, and I I thought, yeah, it'd be great, that's— but I don't have any money. They didn't have any money. And so we decided we would go into a department store and kind of lift those up ourselves and kind of sneak them out. Well, you know how the rule is, is that when you get caught, you only have to be faster than the slowest guy. Well, that was me. And so I got caught. And so my dad it was a, a cop, and his beat was my neighborhood. And so when they called the cops on me, my dad came. And so my dad comes into the, to the store obviously embarrassed. And, and my dad, uh, you could tell he was red-faced. And anyway, we had the longest, quietest five-minute ride home. And then the only thing he said to me out of the car, because he was still on his shift, is uh, wait for me. When I get off shift, I'll deal with you. And so what that meant in my household is you better find the thickest clothes you can find because a spanking was coming. And so when he came, you know, I looked, I was, you know, 100 pounds, but it probably, or 80 pounds, it probably looked like I was 200 pounds with all the clothes I had on. Anyway, he decided, rather than spanking me, he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to, I'm going to take you back to the store. I want you to apologize to the manager. And, and so he was trying to teach me a lesson, which I did learn. Um, and the lesson wasn't as obvious as I thought it was. I thought the lesson was you have to apologize when you do things wrong. No, the lesson was when we got there, he took all of the Hot Wheels or similar ones. He made me pick out the ones that I had taken and that my friends had taken, and he bought them all. He paid for them. And then what hurt most, this is why my conscience wasn't as good as yours, he gave them to me to play. They were mine. So the lesson that he wanted to teach me, my dad was very simple and very simple in the lessons that he wanted to teach. And his lesson was is that when we do things wrong, it costs. It costs somebody. Somebody has to pay. And so he wanted me to learn that he was paying the cost for what I should have had paid. Simple, simple lesson. So intuitively, we know when someone harms us, when somebody hurts us, when somebody inflicts pain on us, when somebody says something that makes us feel bad, there's a cost there. In fact, we want them to pay a cost. We, we want them to, to uh, pay, and, and we love the installment plan because we don't want somebody to pay one time like my dad did. We want them to pay over and over again with compounding interest forever. So we intuitively know that, and we intuitively practice it. In fact, when someone is incarcerated, what do we say they're doing in prison? They're paying their debt to society. So intuitively, we know that. Society knows that about the way in which we treat people who have offended the state or offended the culture or offended the community, that they have to pay that debt. 
Just as my father was trying to teach me that you have to pay the debt. And so, if that's the case, that our offense cost, who pleads our case before the court? In this case, the court is God himself. We have offended him. The things that we know deep in our heart, and we don't even know all the things that we've ever done. That's an act of mercy. Can you imagine? You know, uh, when I first became a Christian, I came across this incredible pamphlet that said that your life at the end was going to be this big movie screen, and it was going to show you all the things that you ever had done wrong. And, And I even thought back then, that is a stupid idea. I don't want to know all the things that I have ever done wrong. I can barely handle the ones that I do know. The last thing I want to know is this is your life, and it's the lowlights of my life. So who pleads our case? Who comes along and says, okay, I'll speak for them. And I have the authority in this court to speak on someone's behalf. And then... How good is that case? I want us to see just two things, and, and then obviously we're, we'll be done. And, and the first one is, there is someone who speaks an infallible case on our behalf that sets us free. There is someone who speaks a kind of a case, an infallible case, an ironclad case, that once it has been given, we must be set free. And then, what difference does it make? And I'll argue that it makes all the difference in the world in the present. Not just in the future. And sometimes we think that that the church is going to tell us about everything that's going to be great in the future. Everything's going to work out. But what about right now? My problem isn't the by and by. My problem is the right here and right now. And so first, who can make an infallible case that sets me free? That sets you free? In the Bible... That was the role of priest. It was established by the law that God had given his people that priests were to advocate a case before him that would set people free. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. They made daily sacrifices. Every day, somebody would bring a goat or a sheep, or if you were poor, a pigeon or, a, or some kind of other animal, and the priest would take it from you. And then right outside the, the courts of the temple would slaughter that and take the blood and pour it in a bowl that eventually would make it uh, inside the temple itself as a sacrifice for sins, teaching you the same lesson my father taught me more than, than uh, 50 years ago, that sin costs, offenses cost, and somebody has to pay. For there to be justice, we want justice in our society. If you ever ask the question, where does that demand come from? 
It comes from the fact that God is a God of justice, and he demands all the books to come to account. For all the wrongs to be righted. For everything that is upside down to be right side up. That is what God has at his core of his being. And so our offenses have to be paid for. And the job of the high priest was to daily do that. But once a year, they really wanted to teach this lesson. And so they got the high priest who had an office just for a short time. And in the morning, one day a year, it was called Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, he would uh, take a bath. Now, today that didn't sound like a big deal, but in their day they didn't bathe that often. And so for the guy to take a bath was a really serious thing. It drew attention. And he had these special clothes they would only wear once a year. They were uh, uh, sewn together with only one seam, and they were without spot or blemish. He was supposed to be clean, the clothes were supposed to be clean, and then he would go make a sacrifice for his sins, the things he had done wrong that year. And then he would go back and take another bath and he would put on a second uh, outfit and uh, then he would come and make uh, sacrifices for all the priests that would be aiding him and helping him. And then he'd go back and take another bath. I mean, in a society that took a bath about uh, once a month, he was taking three baths in one day. And he put on a third uh, 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 a set of clothes. And again, it had to be uh, uh, with one seam and it had to, had to uh, uh, be without a spot or a blemish. It, you know, it had to be uh, dry cleaned before he used it. And so he took it and then he made sacrifices for all the people. And, and his sacrifices came in two forms. It had two goats and the first goat, he would, he would not slaughter. He would lay the hands on and, and say, I transfer the sins of all the people onto this animal. And then they would send the animal out into the wilderness. That's where we get the idea of an escape goat. When we tell someone uh, that all the things that we have done, we're going to let you take the blame. We call that person the escape goat. And so that's what that goat was. The second goat, they slaughtered and they took his blood and they took it into the Holy of Holies. They were only allowed to go in a one time of the year and he would pour that blood on the mercy seat of God. And you've seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was the top of the ark that they poured it on where God sat and judged his people. And again, teaching the people that their sins had to be atoned. It had to be paid for. And so he's teaching that lesson over and over, daily and even annually. And this priest, he would have a rope tied around his waist so that when he went in, in case God didn't accept the sacrifice and took it out on him, they could drag his dead body out. Now, his job was to do that every year. But then in the Bible, you come across this verse. It's in Hebrews 10, in verse 11. It says, day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. This atonement, this, this speaking on behalf of, representing the people. And again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. Here's the words. Which can never take away sins. Can you imagine? Millions and millions of animals were slaughtered by these priests. And not one sin was paid for. Why? That seems gratuitous and grotesque. Why would he do that over and over again and accomplish nothing? Well, the reason it accomplished nothing 
was that the priests themselves were guilty of the same offenses that they were representing. Can you imagine you've gone to court, it's a capital offense, you're being charged, and you've got a lawyer who's been charged with the same crime sitting next to you. That doesn't sound like a great strategy to win your case. In fact, it weakened their case, and I'll prove that in a minute. But simply, they were unqualified. Yes, they were established by the Word of God, but they were unqualified to stand in his court because they were accused of the same crimes. Then why all the sacrifices? If nothing is being accomplished, if the priests are unqualified to even do the work that they were doing, and therefore nothing is being accomplished, Why all the sacrifices? Our passage tells us why. Verse 28. Jesus sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But an oath, that is a promise, which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. What that passage is teaching us is that all of those sacrifices and all of those priests, they did all of that to do one thing. To teach us that sin cost and to point to the one who would come and pay that cost. You get that? Every sacrifice that's written in the Bible, every sacrifice that was performed, even the ones that aren't recorded, We're all to teach this simple Hot Wheels lesson that our offenses cost and that they must be paid and that there is one who will come and pay all the debt of our offenses. And that is why Jesus is the better priest. He's the better one who advocates for us because he gives three reasons here in this text. He says, first, he's perfect and they are not. They were established by the law, and he was established by the promise which came after the law. What's the promise? You see it in verse 25. To save completely. The goal of the sacrifices, the goal of the sacrifice, what Jesus did on the cross, was to save completely us. The priest of old could not do that because the law that established them was weakened by their own sin. We know that because in Paul's defense of where we were, in Romans 8, verse 3, he says, the law, weak as it was, in the flesh. What he's saying is, is that there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. The problem is, in the hands of human beings, it's weakened because we who hold it are unqualified by our own sin to handle it. So the priests themselves were weak and therefore weakened the sacrifices that they made because it was them. And so the goal of it all wasn't accomplished until Jesus came along once for all. Not only is he perfect and they're not, but he's unchangeable and they are. They died and with them their office. You see, a priest was a priest as long as he was alive. But when he died, his office died with him. All of his work, all his relationships, all the things died with him. You say, well, but Jesus died. Yes, 
But the difference is that three days later, he rose from the dead. When the church wanted to have a conversation about Christianity, whether it was true or not, whether the claims of Jesus were true or not. They didn't talk about the argument, the ontological argument or the cosmological argument or the argument of morality. They didn't go through those things. What the church did is they said, but he's alive. And not only did these 12 guys see it, but over 500, and if you want to go around and interview them, some of them are still alive. And the truth is, people will die for the truth. And people will die for a lie that they believe is true. But nobody dies for a lie they know is a lie. These people were persecuted to come out. Can you imagine what would have happened if they could have found one person out of that 500 who would have just been willing to go on the nightly news and say, yeah, we all got together and conspired. We wanted this religion to go on, and so we all keep this uh, conspiracy theory going because we stole his body and we just didn't want him to be able to find it. The Jews wanted him, that to be true. The Romans needed it to be true. And you had 500 people who went to their deaths saying that they saw him alive. That's what converted people by the thousands, that their priest and his office didn't end. That it goes on because in Acts 2, it says that when, Acts 1, when he finished his work, he ascended in heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And there he intercedes for us. He pleads our case. And so his, his, perfection, they're not. He's unchangeable, they're changeable. But his sacrifice was sufficient, and theirs was not. The only way it could be once for all is if the sacrifice was sufficient to pay for all. Eternal priest, eternal sacrifice. So what's that case? What's the case that he makes? It's not enough to have a good lawyer to have the best lawyer in town. You also need, and I think this is more important because I think you can find a mediocre lawyer who can deliver an client case and still walk out free. But if you had a, bad, a great lawyer and a bad case, you're going to prison. He has the best case in the cosmos. What is it? Some would say the best case is She's not guilty. You must set her free. And that'd be true if you weren't guilty. The other one is, yeah, he's guilty, but there's mitigating circumstances. If you just knew how he grew up, if you just knew what was going on in the context of the situation, here's Jesus's case before God. Yes, he's guilty as charged, but I want you to set him free because I paid the debt. You see how that's different? He doesn't come out and say, you're not guilty. We are. He doesn't plead for mercy. Hey, just, he won't do it again. Just realize it was a bad day. No, he's guilty, but set him free because I paid. That's the ironclad case. It's not a cry for mercy. Because mercy, if he says, you just... Have mercy on him. If you just realize those terrible circumstances that he had growing up, you would understand why he acts the way he does. He's going to continue doing it. 
In fact, you're going to start to wonder, is God's patience going to run out? And when it runs out, is he just going to have the end of his mercy? But if you cry for justice, then you must do what is right. And Jesus says, in this case, on this person, for their offense, the right thing to do is to let them go because I paid in full. Justice demands the payment that Jesus paid. He is able to save us completely because we are in him. Just as the lawyer wins, we win. Jesus wins every time before his father when they're arguing your and my offenses. Yes, he's guilty. Yes, he's done that. Yes, she did that. But she's free. You know, I... I was noticing this week, I have a lot of friends down south who were celebrating the national championship by the University of Georgia in football. And the way that they do it on some of my friends on Facebook, we win, we won. And, and, they, and they talk about all the accolades of winning the second national championship since the last one, which was Herschel Walker a long time ago. But that's really the way it works, isn't it? It's an imputed win. I'm a little snarky, so I usually put as a response, I don't remember seeing you play. They don't like that. But the truth is we all do that. With whatever sporting event or whatever we watch, it's imputed to us. So we can say we won. In this case, before God. And so what difference does it make? I think it makes all the difference in the world. And I only have time for these two ways. The first one is his intercession is the end of our guilt. What do people say about you? You ever ever thought to ask them, I'm just too scared. I just don't want to know. I'm afraid it wouldn't be all that great by some people. And in some people, you've done everything that you can think to do, and they still don't like you. What do you say about yourself? Are you a good person? Are you a bad person? Are you somewhere in between? What's the verdict? You know people pronounce verdicts over us, and we, we hate that. Somebody pigeonholes us, puts us in a, in a box, and we get all upset about the box they put us in because they see us only in the way in which the evidence that they have accrued against us. We do that too. We pronounce verdicts over ourselves. And when we get introduced, you know, this is how I am. This is what I'm like. What do you do with all those verdicts? If we, if our friends pronounce verdicts, if our enemies pronounce verdicts over us, and we pronounce verdicts over ourselves, why would we think that God doesn't also pronounce a verdict over us? If everybody pronounces verdicts, why would we think that God is not going to pronounce a verdict. And he does. And so, when do you need an argument? Before the verdict is pronounced. And before the verdict is pronounced, Jesus says, yes, that one is guilty, but set her free because I paid in full. This is why the hymn writer very famously wrote, and though the accuser roar, of ills that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. Jehovah findeth none. Not because he's an old man and forgets, but because they're paid. And not only is the guilt dealt with that we feel because we have done things, 
removed, but also his intercession is the end of our disappointment in all of the hopes that we hoped would diminish all of those feelings. We, we feel the pain of the things that we have done because they cost us. And because of that, because we feel that way, we look for things to diminish that pain or to deny that verdict or to mitigate that verdict. And those things that we put our hopes in, they disappoint us because they don't remove all, all of the pain. Because all it takes is a one day of remembering or someone who bring up, oh yeah, I remember when you did that, to bring all of that back. Because our hopes were that we could mitigate that, and it didn't. And so, if we put our hope in the infallible case of Jesus, yes, you're guilty, but we are free because Jesus paid. In that one hope that never fails, because he lives to intercede, And we tend to make that so broad that it means nothing. When intercession in this case, because he's taking the office of the high priest, is to pay the debt of our sin that we might be free in him. And so when you think about that, he's interceding for us. Imagine if we all trusted that. I think the most common hurt that I hear as a pastor is the verdicts that we speak to ourselves and the verdicts that others speak about us. A lot of counseling goes on that, but at the core of that is not relying or trusting in that is paid for, that God no longer holds it against us. In fact, he treats us like his son because his work has been given to us as if we had done it. So much of what we think and feel and do is shaped by the verdicts that we have taken into our hearts. But God has pronounced over us that we are free. In fact, the way that the Bible describes it is for freedom that he has set you free. Instead of acting like chains, they did a survey, and then I'll be done, They did a survey back in the 60s on prisoners who had been incarcerated for a long time, more than 20 years. And what they noticed about these prisoners when they were set free is that often they would rent spaces that were comparable to the size of the prison cells in which they lived for more than 20 years. That their friends tend to be others who had been previously incarcerated that they tended to gravitate toward institutional food. Some of that was economic. Some of it was, that's all they ever knew. And so the point of this study, the psychological study, was that in a lot of ways they were out of prison. But they didn't act that way. Because they didn't trust that their debt had been paid. And so they acted like they were still paying that debt. We are like that. We have been set free. And it is for freedoms that we have been set free to live freedom. But that takes trust in our advocate who stands before God all day, every day, and says, I see that. I paid for that too. Set them free. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your glorious grace to us. And I pray that 
it might heal our hearts, the pain that we feel because of the verdicts that we have heard and have taken in. To hear that the verdict of God is set them free because their sins are paid for. May we recognize that and live free lives that it might change everything about the disappointments we have felt, about the things that we have put our hopes in, our dreams that have not come through for us to mitigate the pain or to deny the verdict. And help us to see that our guilt has truly been washed away because someone has paid and his payment was sufficient. Not just for the things that we did in our past, but the things that we're doing even now and will do in the future, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.